Hi there and thanks for joining us. On this week's podcast, we talk about the industry that drove our economy and then crashed it. As cranes pop up again over Cork, has construction truly turned the corner? And the four letters that are currently filling companies with fear. GDPR. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business Podcast with CompuB, building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com. Regular listeners to this podcast know that I am mildly obsessed with cranes, and it, it's unhealthy in many ways that I wander around looking skyward, counting how many there are. Because when we began Red Business last year, I think we only had two or three when Dublin had 80. It's really interesting because in the time that we've been doing this, we've seen a lot more construction in Cork. So to understand what's going on in the industry, we're joined by the regional director with the Construction Industry Federation, Mr. Connor O'Connell. Connor, how are you? Good, thanks. It is busy right now in Cork, isn't it? It is. It's getting busier uh, and it's a very good sign to see, as you said, the torque cranes in the skyline. They always say torque cranes in the skyline are a barometer of economic confidence, economic activity and the growth of any individual city or centre. So it's a fantastic sight to see the number of torque cranes growing and the number of them growing in the city. That is That coupled with the number of vans on the road, I mean, that's another good barometer, which is reflective of construction workers going about their business in the morning, breakfast roll man, as he would have been described previously. There's a lot of that. I mean, how many people do you think are working in construction in Cork right now? Um, we estimate at the moment there is approximately 10,000 people working in the construction sector in Cork. Uh, the economic output of the industry in the Cork region, we estimate somewhere in the region of 1 billion euro. Now, it has to be stressed, most of that output is on a few larger sites in the pharmaceutical sector, the biotech sector, life sciences generally, as well, of course, of the city centre projects, offices mainly, and student apartment complexes. So, um, while... It must be stressed, Jonathan, that the industry, you know, you've, you've different sectors in the industry. You've got the residential sector, which is still struggling to get up to the activity levels it needs to be at. You've got the commercial sector, you've got the industrial sector and the infrastructural sector, the roads, the bridges, etc. You know, so we're seeing many of those specters, sectors expand at the moment, which is good. It is good. Um, and we are behind Dublin in many ways. And in Dublin, there's been a massive push on commercial property. Big push on commercial property, student accommodation. And that's kind of where we're at in Cork now, but but 12 months behind. Is that a fair assessment that, you know, we, we are focusing a lot on commercial and student right now to the exclusion of other things? I wouldn't say the exclusion. It's just that's where the funding is at the moment. You know, we've always made the argument in relation to the residential that um, it is a marginal business a high-risk business. Um, when investors come along and the funders, and you talk about Dublin there, uh, you look at the private equity funds that are investing in commercial developments in Dublin. We're beginning to see that now in Cork. And thankfully, what has been driven by in Cork are local property developers, you know, the likes of O'Flynn Construction, O'Flynn Developments, uh, JCD, John Cleary Developments, O'Callaghan Properties, BAM Properties, etc. Uh, we're very lucky in Cork that we have managed to maintain, even through the bad times, some key property developers that are driving the construction sector in the region at the moment. Is there a real risk that we don't have enough to keep the industry at the growth levels it's at right now? So we know what happened. Construction fell through the floor. Everybody lost their jobs and a lot of those skilled tradespeople left. I mean, is there a potential that we could be on the verge of another good thing 
but we won't have the people to do it. It is a concern of the industry, but what I would stress in relation to it is that the capacity of the industry, there is room to expand. You look at our output levels in terms of as a percentage of uh, gross national income, we're hovering around 8 to 9% our industry of gross national income when the European average is 12 to 15% of GNI. So that just gives you uh, an example of how we have the capacity and we should be expanding even more, Jonathan. Uh, but you're right, skills is a big concern for the industry. We've put an awful lot of effort into it locally. Uh, we've gone on school visits. We need more people coming into apprenticeships in the industry and we need people to return to Cork uh, who have left the industry. You look at the statistics, 170,000 people left the construction sector between 2007 and 2013. A lot of them went abroad. We need mm. to bring them back. Is there a problem as well, though, that yeah, you might go around to schools and exalt the virtues of working in construction, but they go home to mum and dad and mum and dad say, well, look, we know what happened to the builders in 2007. Son, we don't want you to go down that road. Absolutely. I mean, Jonathan, it's a fair comment to say that one of the biggest issues we face in relation to getting more people into the industry is the reputational issues that the industry has suffered over the last number of years. Um, the continuity of employment, That the feedback we get is that the continuity of employment issue is one of the biggest factors when it comes to attracting people into the industry. So our message you now at the moment, if you look around Cork, you can see the projects underway. You can see the number of projects that are going to commence in planning. Unfortunately, too many of them are being appealed, but that's a different story. But you can see in the, into the future, the National Development Plan and the number of projects in the National Development Plan, the Kettle Interchange, M28, a new elective hospital for Cork, new general hospital for Cork. Um, there is significant number of developments going to happen in this city over the last 10 years. And, and a, lot of, 10 years. a lot of that is government funded. The National Development Plan, even though it's not called that, what's it called again? What are The, the oh, National Project Development Plan. 2040. Ireland 2040. is the national planning framework. All yeah. that money they spent on it, I couldn't remember the name off the top of my head. Sorry about that. Um, but with all of that money coming in, uh, is Cork really well placed then? Absolutely. You look at the statistics uh, in relation to Cork's population growth, employment growth. Even over the last number of years, you've had population growth of 5.8% in the city, 4.7% in the county. It is by far and away the largest growth centre outside of Dublin. And what's going to happen over the next 20 years, according to these national plans, which will be implemented in legislation, is that Cork will be the fastest growing region in the country, full stop. Um, We're a changing city, we're a changing region. We've got a great mix of industries and that is driving private sector investment into the region. And what's happening now, it must be stressed, is that while the National Development Plan has a lot of projects for Cork that are publicly funding, they're going to support private sector investment. The National Regeneration and Development Agency will have a fund of €2 billion to drive brownfield development effectively in Ireland, concentrating in the main cities and on urban sites within public ownership. So that, if you look at Cork at the moment and you look at Cork Docklands, there's a significant amount of land there that's held by the public sector. Uh, That land is perfectly or could be perfectly primed once the infrastructure such as the N28 comes on board for the relocation of Cork Docks. That that location is prime location in a few years' time for residential development. So the National Regeneration and Development Agency 
is a very significant body that could drive the development of Cork Docklands. Also, in the NDP, it calls for all new semi-state agencies to be located outside of Dublin. So we would call for the National Regeneration and Development Agency to locate itself in the uh, in the city where it has the greatest potential for brownfield development. People who take all of those fantastic two jobs will need somewhere to live. And, and the one criticism that's levelled at everybody is we haven't got a grips with the housing crisis. And it's multifaceted. We spend a lot of time rightly talking about homelessness, but we don't talk about the fact that the people who are stuck in apartments can't afford to buy houses, and if they can afford to buy houses, they can't get the houses. When are we going to see an increase, a significant increase, as is needed in the construction of new homes. When you say a significant increase, the perception sometimes is that you just go out into the field, build the houses, go out onto the site and build the apartments. But it's, as you say, it's multifaceted. Where's the money going to come from? Who's going to fund it? Are the sites available? Um, how many sites are available? All of these issues, the planning and the length of the but planning the, the process. the impression that's always given, Connor, is that people who are sitting on land banks and developers are waiting for conditions to be absolutely optimum before they go. I always describe it as everybody standing around the start line. The gun has been fired, but nobody wants to be the first to go. I mean, I I know that's probably a bit cynical, but that's the perception. The perception, and I would say that's a very cynical viewpoint because... Thank you you very much. I've been working very hard on it. Sorry. No, it is, you're right, Jonathan, it is the general perception uh, of the residential construction sector. But when you delve down into the detail and the economics of actually building, constructing a unit, getting planning. It takes time. Nobody, believe me, this is an industry, the residential construction sector, that hasn't effectively been performing over the last 10 years for many different reasons. It simply hasn't been building units. It's an industry that effectively has had, has had to start up again. It's had to purchase the sites. Are the sites available? Who owns the sites? Many of our members, one of the biggest complaints will be that the residential construction sector has a difficulty getting hold of zoned residential land. And one of the key messages from our industry is that infrastructure allows uh, for those lands to be opened up. And you know? of course, yeah, that's the everything around the house, not just the house itself. Exactly. Connor, to finish up, we had a bad period from 2007, really up until 2017. And it was as a result of a construction boom that went wrong. And the last thing we want now, it's great that people are back in work, it's great the cranes are back in the sky, it's great that all this opportunity is being created, but the last thing we want is to create another boom that's followed by a bust. How can we make this sustainable? How can we guarantee that we're not going to face another crisis in another decade that will take another 10 years to fix? Believe me, Jonathan, Nobody in our industry wants to see a bubble come again. Uh, Everyone in our industry has suffered unbelievably. If you look at the figures, you know, for three people working in the construction sector, only one was left uh, by 2013 working in the industry. Nobody in our industry, and I must stress that, wants to see a bubble again. We want to see a sustainable industry. You look at the central, um, you look at the rules for mortgage availability, for instance, from the central bank. They're very, very tight. In fact, some people would argue they're almost too tight. So they're effectively acting as a cap on the price of new houses and new homes. 
So that's in place. There's other measures there as well when you look at the industry in terms of the funding of developments. It's completely different to the last time around. The funding comes from private so- sources, private equity funds, whoever it may be. It's not coming from our pillar banks this time around. Now, they should be more involved in funding um, residential development. Unfortunately, they're not at the moment and hopefully they will get back into the market. But that the, the whole funding mechanism has changed. The whole um, rules surrounding mortgage availability has changed for the residential sector. So it's it's an utterly different environment. Here's hoping you're absolutely right on that. I one. hope so. Conor yeah. O'Connell, Regional Director with the Construction Industry Federation in Cork. Conor, thanks for joining us Thank on Red you. Business. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business, improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com. Now, I want to talk about something that you may have heard of but don't necessarily understand. And that's not an uncommon thing because most of us don't quite get it but it is about to happen and we all need to get up to speed about what it is because every single one of us is going to have to do something about it it's four little letters that have caused fear in the business community and they are GDPR in that order. Uh, John Fuller is a solicitor with JW O'Donovan Solicitors and he is with me now John, people don't like GDPR sure they don't? No but I suppose our view is that uh, people are probably maybe panicking when there's no real need to panic in some instances. GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation, so it applies to you know data protection. It's going to revolutionise, I suppose, the regime for data protection. But I suppose having engaged with our clients, we've found that a lot of them are already doing a lot of the right things. There's definitely an exercise for them to do now to make sure that they are compliant. But I think if you don't panic, I suppose, as I said, get started, find out what you need to do, begin that process and hopefully by 25th of May when this becomes law uh, you could be a long way down the road to compliance if not fully compliant. It all bases on consent that we all have to give consent for information to be stored by somebody and that could be a solicitor's office it could be a radio station it could be a charity it could be anybody so anywhere where information is stored consent will have had to have been sought. Um, not necessarily. There are certain, there, there's different grounds for lawful processing of information. And I think the two that are three that are probably most likely to apply to private businesses um, are, I suppose, consent, as you said, and that must be a freely given, informed, specific consent. So you can't use opt-in boxes, you can't um, obtain consent in a situation where it's kind of wrapped up with something else. Um you know, so there's going to be quite a lot of information has to be given before someone can give a valid consent. So all of that is changing and it's going to be a much higher bar. But the other grounds that are probably relevant are one, if you're for, if the data is being processed in fulfilment of a contract. So obviously, if someone submits an order to your business, they might give you certain information which allow you to fulfill that order. So you don't necessarily need to get a separate consent then for you to use that data because it's implied that you need it for the contract. The third one that's worth bearing in mind is where the processing is needed to, um, I suppose, fulfil the legitimate interests of the data processor. Um, so there is certain circumstances in which you could say, my business requires that I process this uh, information. You don't need consent, but in those circumstances, you must ensure that you're not prejudicing the position of the data subject. So I suppose... Um, 
Consent is very important. It's probably the most common ground, but there may be other grounds in certain circumstances. Now, dear listener, do stick with us. I know this is terminally dull, but the problem is it is very real. It's not your explanation of it, John. It is a turgid, turgid thing, this GDPR. What happens to all of the information that is stored right now? All of those mailing lists, all of those things that were written on the back of a matchbox and ended up on a computer, are they now illegal post-GDPR? Um I suppose the answer is maybe. (laughs) Um, It depends on how you came by the information and what you're doing with it. I suppose really what everyone needs to do now, if they haven't done it already, is to say, we need to sit down and conduct an audit of what we hold and why we hold it. So So let's take a simple example. Say that you have a business and as a result, you've been, you, you ran a competition to give away a prize and as a result you got a load of email addresses that you added into a mailing list and that you're using that mailing list then for marketing purposes that is not allowed under GDPR No that would probably be illegal going forward because you know you haven't got a specific consent you know for those people to join the marketing the, the mailing list as I, you know you've wrapped up the gathering of that email in another form. So they gave you the email to try and enter a competition. They may, they didn't necessarily appreciate that you were going to start sending them uh, emails about other, other matters. So I suppose what you need to do if you have a mailing list is to figure out where did we get these emails and, you know, did, did we get consent at the time if we didn't go back out and get the consent? That can actually be a very good opportunity for you to reach out to your customer base and say, you know, we're aware of GDPR, we're taking it seriously, we're writing to you now to get your consent, you know, and I think that could be very reassuring to people. And plus, if there are people who don't reply and don't want to be on the mailing list, there's probably not much good in contacting them going forward anyway. I've done a few events in the last couple of weeks and one of the questions that was asked of various different business audiences were, how prepared, do, do you think you are fully prepared for GDPR? And I did it at a, a, a security conference and three hands out of 100 people went up. And is anybody remotely ready? And about four more hands went up. Why are people not taking this seriously? Is is it a long finger thing or I'll get around to it eventually? I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think we kind of estimated, having done a survey of our own clients, that about 30% have you know, taken some steps or feel that they are some way along the road to doing it, to, to becoming compliant. I think the other 70% hadn't really started yet. But there's less than 10 weeks to go now to the 25th of May. This this is going to happen. I was actually at an event where someone described it as being, you know, this is more like the smoking ban than Y2K. Y2K was something that we were all told was going to be a cast free, but turned out to be something of nothing but the smoking ban it was law came into force and was enforced and people this, were prosecuted afterwards and, exactly and, and the ultimate threat here is well it's twofold number one is that they can fine you a percentage of your turnover if you are a business but the other one that people really don't get is the reputational damage if you are prosecuted and it will be done publicly your brand will be damaged because you handled people's data incorrectly. We only have to look at what happened with Facebook in recent weeks to go, that's not a positive thing for a brand. Absolutely, no, I totally agree with that. And I mean, I think the other thing to bear in mind is that it's not necessarily going to be the Data Protection Commissioner knocking on your door and, you know, do, conducting an audit. You have to be kind of aware of the fact that your clients, the people whose data you hold, they will going forward have the right to take action against you if you breach data protection. They can sue for monetary damage, but they can also sue for non-monetary damage. So they could sue for distress. 
damage to their good name, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, you need to have the procedures in place so that you can, I suppose, defend yourself against those actions. So should businesses who are listening to this right now, and thank you for sticking with us because GDPR is such fun, um, if they still have their head in the sand, once they remove it, having listened to your good and solid advice, what do they do next? I suppose what we're advocating is that people take this on. They say, we've got a project to deliver GDPR compliance. We've got 10 weeks or whatever it is when they start to do it. Appoint someone, give someone the responsibility of delivering that, resource them properly and just say this is something that is as important as anything else that's going on in the business right now. I think if you take that approach, there's still plenty of time to become substantially compliant. Start with the things that are the areas of highest risk and work your way down. And I think, you know, don't panic. Take your, as you said, take your head out of the, out of the sand. Get started now. And, you know, it, 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 there's no reason to ignore this. John Fuller uh, of JW O'Donovan Solicitors on the South Mall. It's been a pleasure, even though it's been a difficult topic. John, thank you for joining us on Red You're Business. You're very welcome. Thank you. My thanks to Connor and John. And don't forget, if you're a business in Cork and want to tell your story, our email is open, redbusiness at redfm.ie. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and we'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com.